do you know what it do you know after I did that dab and Xavier was like please just 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 go for it Harris and I was like really like come on man please don't make me do this because like <laughs> I knew it was going to end up as a meme or something somewhere even if it was within my own family group chat Hello, welcome to This Is My Cinema, a brand new podcast from Biffer that's all about celebrating the very best talent in the British film community and the cinema experiences that made them who they are today. I'm Rihanna Dillon. And I'm Michael Leader, and we'll be talking to rising stars and legendary names from both in front of and behind the camera, exploring their origins in filmmaking, their inspirations, their memories of the cinemas they grew up going to, and of course, whether they take their popcorn sweet or salty. And as well as an opportunity to champion the cinema spaces we know and miss, these podcasts coincide with the British Independent Film Awards themselves. They're happening this Thursday, the 18th of Feb, and they're happening on Facebook and YouTube, hosted by none other than Tom Felton. So from Monday to Friday this week, we're releasing a brand new episode of this podcast every day. And each episode, we're starting with one big question for all of our guests. And I'm going to test it out on you today, Rihanna. Within these interviews, we are creating the ideal dream trip to the cinema where our guests are handed over the reins to programme whatever they want and subject us to a film for the evening. Rihanna, if you had free reign of a cinema, what would you make us watch? I think right now, (laughs) in this tumultuous world, I would make everybody watch the joyful and very cinematic Singing in the Rain. Ah, wonderful. Is that one that you, is a, are you a big fan of that film? Is that one you've been, you've loved for a long time? I, yeah, I absolutely loved Singing in the Rain growing up. It was such a gorgeous, fun, it was such a gorgeous, fun film for kids, but also, you know, stuff that you appreciate more and more as an adult. There are always bits that I fast forward through, but I think that's okay for any of your favorite films, right? Um, but also I just think it's a film about making films and those sorts of movies are just some of the best out there, just for any film nerds like you and me, I think. I think it says a lot about your character, Rihanna, that we're given you're given an absolute blank check, free reign, carte blanche. You could twist our arm to watch anything and you choose one of the most beloved films of all time. You're very kind. It just makes me so happy. That's one of those shared experiences, being happy in a cinema and coming out and just having that smile on your face. Our guest today is Harris Dickinson, who's nominated at the awards for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Henry Blake's film County Lines. Yes, it was such a pleasure to talk with Harris about the whole scope of his career as well. I first saw him in the indie film Beat Rats a few years ago Mm. that did really well in the festival circuit, picks him up all sorts of rising star awards. And since then, he's been in a great few sort of art house festival favourites, as well as the odd blockbuster or two. You can see him in the sequel to Maleficent as a charming prince. But of course, if 2020 hadn't happened the way it had, we would have seen him by now in the prequel to the Kingsman series, The King's Man. And he has a few other great indie films coming up too. He's in the sequel to The Souvenir, directed by Joanna Hogg, something I really look forward to seeing, as well as the new film from Ruben Ostland, the director who made The Square, which won the big prize at Cannes a few years ago, as well as Force Majeure, which is an absolute treat of a film if you haven't watched it already. And Harris is only 24 and he's managed to basically tick off the bucket list of all the great directors working today. I know, it's an unbelievable feat. And we got into all of Harris's amazing catalogue of work, the films that he was brought up watching, and how to handle a snack rustler. So here he is, Harris Dickinson. 
Harris Dickinson, thank you so much for talking with us today. So for the duration of this conversation, this is your cinema. And to start with, we're asking all our guests, if you had free reign of a cinema for an evening and you could make us, make us watch any film, what film comes to mind? Do you know what? The, it's, it's a difficult one because you could either go like really high-end, big sort of Carazon Mayfair, which was like, was my initial instinct. But do you know there's a great cinema in near Brick Lane called The uh, Close-Up? Oh. I don't know if you guys have ever been. That is a deep cut reference there. I know it well. You know it well? Yeah. I'd, I'd do, I'd do Ken Loach's Kez at The Close-Up because I've never seen Kez on the big screen. I've watched it multiple times on my own with my parents, you know, so I'd, I know it might be a bit bleak, but do we've got, we'll do the close-up and then we've got food options local, we've got drink options local, we got, I mean, there's so many things near it as well, so, you know, spilling out afterwards if, if everyone's a bit dull and reminiscing <laughs> on the sort of northern countryside, they can be linked straight back into London and a bit of joyous, but yeah. I love, I, I'm sorry, I love that you've just planned an entire night, <laughs> not the trip to the cinema. You've got the rest of the night till 6am planned. Yeah, till 6am and then we're <laughs> going to end back at the bagel shop for for scraps, yeah. So tell us about Kez, what makes you go for that one of all films? I don't know, I just, I, I remember watching it really young and, and feeling to put it simply, like, feeling a lot from it. I don't know. Mm. I I, uh, I got put onto it by my dad, who's who's northern, and, and I grew up going up there and spending a lot of time in those sort of landscapes. And I remember the, the oppression of that of that main character and, and the bird becoming, like, his best friend. I don't know. I remember sort of relating to, to that feeling of loneliness a little bit at times. Not that I was anywhere near the same got the same treatment as him uh, but yeah yeah I, I don't know so is Ken Loach someone that you've always dreamed of working with or would you be too afraid to because you've loved that film for so long no I'd love to work with him I love I love his films I, I think that I don't think that I grew up watching his films imagining myself in them because they've always been so bleak yeah I, I don't know I, I never really like went to the thought of oh yeah Ken Loach will be calling me soon but I'd love to work with him I think I'm like I've learned recently that meeting your heroes is okay sometimes you know like meeting people that you admire it can be good and and uh, normal it doesn't have to be strange you, you can't just say that you have to tell us which heroes have you met who've, yeah who've surprised you <laughs> I mean okay I, I, I've just started working on a film with with Sam Rockwell and I've loved his work for for years and done so many different types of roles and he's just someone that has like not surprised me because I never had a preconception of who he was as a person mm. but he's just like the most wonderful like welcoming person you know so, and and it's like oh immediately put at ease by this juggernaut of a of an actor mm. and then like directors like I did a film with Ruben Austin last year I love his films I always wanted to work with him since seeing like Involuntary and, and like Force Majeure and it was like now I'm in his universe and uh, it feels normal, you know? It doesn't feel like each day is some absurd 
yeah, it does feel absurd. <laughs> <laughs> but somewhat normal, do you know what I mean? I think Sam is a really interesting one because he does seem to straddle so many different genres and he works so much in indie films but also in massive blockbusters as well. Like that, do you just want to sort of pick his brains about his career when you meet someone like that? Yeah, and I think, but do you know what difficult is is navigating those desires because... Yeah. I, I mean, I I would always be forthcoming if anyone asked me, but I'm not someone with that level of experience. And it's like, how do I, where do I start? Like, mm. what what are you okay with me asking you about? But most of the time, I think people like talking about it and like reminiscing on their own experiences, you know? Like, there's not many actors, because deep down, we're a pretty egotistical, so... <laughs> There's not many actors or filmmakers even that, that won't want to talk about and like reflect on their work and reflect on experiences, I feel. I don't know. So I, I read in an interview you gave maybe a couple of years ago now that you like met Danny Boyle at a screening in an East London kind of film festival or something. And you said, I want to work with you someday. And then down the line, that happened. And first of all, tell us what, you know, how that happens. But also, who else is on your bucket list? God. Well, the Danny Boyle story, I, I got invited. I knew a security guard that was working at a, a, a film festival in Mile End. And he was someone that had helped a friend of mine run an event. And I was like, probably like 14. And he said, yeah, there's this film festival. I know you guys are into film and it's like a low-key thing. And they were playing the National when Benedict Cumberbatch did the Frankenstein at the National. And they were like live projecting it in Mile End. And I went there. Danny Boyle walked past and, of course, I'd, I'd like, really enjoyed his work from, like, young. And I sort of just walked straight over to him and was like, you're right, mate, really lovely to meet you. Like, <laughs> da, 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 da. like I want to be an actor and I'm making these short films and, you know, you're, like, a massive inspiration for me, man. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep uh, keep going, mate, keep going. And that was it. And he sort of got, sort of got swifted off. And then when I got cast in... No, and then this is what the odd thing is, is that... I did a film called Beach Rats in 2017. And after that premiered at Sundance, I quit my job. I was living it large. I was ready for the... But it was like, my agent said to me, is there any directors you really want to work with? And I was like, yeah, yeah, let me get like a little list together. Like, so you guys sort of know for the future, like never dreaming or dreamt that these would be fulfilled. And on the top of the list was Danny Ball, because when I was like, 15, 16, like fairly young in my like experience of films, he was probably at the top. And and then a couple of weeks after I got an audition for a series and then, I, it, and then I got the part in like a matter of three days. And I remember going to him on set and I was like, I gave it a couple of weeks, like settled in with him. And I was like, Danny, I don't know if you remember this, you probably don't, but I met you when I was like 14. And he was like, oh yeah, was that nice? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you were lovely. <laughs> But it was a yeah weird full circle moment that that I will remember that that was a lovely moment. I I, I appreciate that Mancunian accent there. I think that's actually quite a good one. <laughs> is that all right? You know, I've I've heard some terrible ones in my time. Well, my dad's Norman, <laughs> so I think I can get away. Where are you from? I grew up in, in Salford, so I mean, not 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 quite the same area as Danny, but you know, similar ballpark. Uh, but still, everyone seems to like to have a stab at it. That makes me think back to Beach Rats, seeing that back on the festival circuit a couple of years ago, where, of course, you know, our introduction to you on the big screen is with an American accent. And, of course, you're a, a London boy, having, you know, then 
going onto the big screen, adopting all these accents. I mean, was that something you took quite naturally to? I think so. You know, I, I, I grew up doing, it sounds stereotypical, but I grew up doing impressions and accents. And like, I find that, you know, my mum was a hairdresser and she had lots of different types of people come over to the house in the kitchen and t- and like taking people off and telling stories was a big part of my family and still is. So I feel like accents and working it into film just became sort of professional version of that where I was just sort of trying to match up to it. But it's about ear as well, isn't it, really? If you've got a good ear, it's, it's easier than... Than, than others but it's also this really incredible thing sort of seeing your career over the last few years introduced to you you know for, in something like beach rats seeing you pop up in Matthias and maxime the xavier dolan french canadian film and now seeing you in something like county lines where it's almost like taking you all the way back to london yeah. um so it does that feel different when you're acting in a British production that is close to home in that way. Definitely. And it's it's interesting you say that, you know, Michael. When I first started acting and when I left college and uh, I didn't necessarily feel like there was many opportunities or roles because I hadn't been to drama school. I wasn't from a certain background. And so Beach Rats and came out of the States and a few other things that I did came out of the States. And so my first opportunities came through Brooklyn in New York and so yeah when County Lines came about I was like yes this is this is great you know this is the sort of stuff I want to do because I love London and I I love living here and I feel a strong connection to it you know all my family here all my friends are here and to see a story like County Lines being told so accurately because I know that world I I understand it I really would have done a you know a couple hours filming as a, a tree in the background, you know? <laughs> Do you think that, you know, there are more opportunities in independent cinema for British people to see themselves represented on screen? I think so. I, I, I certainly think so. I'm just thinking back to, like, last year's films as well. Like, did you guys see Mogul Mowgli? Mm-hmm. Like, seeing a film like that, where you've got London Pakistanis being represented, I mean, I hadn't seen anything so accurate to be honest the big scale like studios in the uk have churned out some good stuff but it's mainly been catered for the 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 white middle class i think the independent cinema definitely opens it up for for a wider conversation and a wider representation which is which is what we want isn't it absolutely i mean just looking at looking at County Lines, looking at films like Rocks and the impact that that's had on the conversations around film and just, like, getting another kind of dialogue going is just... It feels like a really exciting time for British independent cinema, do you think? Yeah, definitely. There's so many films that have... um, And what I love as well is that despite the fact we're in a pandemic and despite the fact that cinemas have have been suffering and continue to suffer, there's still this, like, strong undercurrent of, like fresh talent, fresh filmmakers, like being given platforms to display their work and institutions like Biffa continually recognise films and uh, artists that are working on things that are, are not only interesting but are original, you know? So it's cool to see. Just take us back to Kez a second because that it really is like almost the Rosetta Stone of social realist British cinema, right? And Ken Loach's body of work, so influential in that regard. You've chosen that film and it really suggests this real social 
conscience behind your taste in film. Can you tell us a bit about like the films that were like formed your taste and your vision of what cinema could be? My parents weren't exactly like cinephiles, but they 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 were always putting me onto films that sort of that had strong messages and you know films like from Alan Parker, Midnight Express, and and Abigail's Party and stuff. You know, there there were there was a lot of things that were that were close to home. It's not like exactly very cool, but I remember Nick Rogue's Witches when I was when I was pretty young and like being like so terrified by it I mean that's a weird one isn't it like remembering it's it's so (laughs) frightening (laughs) it's so frightening it's so frightening and it's so frightening for a kid but it's also like it it holds up as a good film like it's a well-made film and then you look at Nick Rogue's body of work and you're like hmm where did this fit into it but it sort of somehow does you know and you're like all right well and 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 all like going on from that, you know, my mum put me onto films like Don't Look Now, and mm-hmm. and my dad had a strong sense of social realism. You know, he's a social worker, so we we're always talking about films that were like pushing dialogues and 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 evoking conversations and stuff. But I don't think I quite realised it. Like I didn't grow up thinking, oh, you know, these films are like sort of in my hemisphere. I just, as I got older and started to become more and more interested in film in general, I feel like all the sort of links come together can you think of the first time even when you watched a film and it wasn't just like this great film that you watched and you thought yeah amazing but you knew that what the people doing on screen were acting and you're like i want to do that do you know what i remember watching the knight's tale with heath ledger and then soon after i went to watch the dark knight and so i was i was i was probably like 11 12 we used to photocopy our passports and change our date of birth (laughs) so we could get into and they'd accept that as id and i remember watching dark knight and being like that's heath ledger and 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 that was for me i was like oh that's a completely different person there like that's pretty cool that he's uh he's transformed like that and so that probably sparked something quite profound in me from a young age and then there was only an Odeon near me, and then there's only a, recently a, an Empire in Walthamstow. There wasn't any other art house cinemas locally, so it was mainly like the blockbusters and the mainstream films that I was catching as a kid. Mm-hmm. So is that was that like a thing for you when you go from being like Prince Philip to then being drug pusher Simon? <laughs> like that's your <laughs> two opposite ends of the spectrum. I'd say Prince Philip's the sort of furthest end of the spectrum that I'll be going but no but but even in that and something I'm not particularly comfortable with like playing some playing a prince it's not something I know or and I was scared I remember getting that and being like this is scary like I don't know about this like it's something great people involved Michelle Mm -hmm. Pfeiffer, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Angelina Jolie L but I was like this is scary because that person the prince of this like regal thing and I don't know who that is but let's go and do it anyway because it will be something different and I might not get the opportunity again. So yeah, it's like that. It's like being a little bit scared by things and then, mm. and then trying to like tackle it and understand it in, in, a, in a way. Not that that's a, a character study on, on Prince Philip because we, we know it's certainly not. But yeah, I think that interests me, you know, like pushing myself in different directions in order to like understand different corners of the world and different corners of people i suppose i quite like that we're sketching out these extremes here of cinema experience and one question we're asking all our guests is you know now that it's been you know maybe a good potentially a year since 
many of us have seen a film in the big screen, we were getting quite reflective about those moments that we're really glad we saw on the big screen. Anything that like comes to mind saying, I'm so glad I saw that in the cinema. I saw, I'll tell you why I'll say this one. It's because I don't think I'm, I might not have got through it at home. There's a Japanese film called The Life of Oharu. And I don't know, it's, it's a 50s film and it was very long. <laughs> and uh, saw it close up. But it was amazing, and it was it was about a sex worker in in Japan, and she was trying to get out, and it was big and sad and tragic. And at the end of it, I sort of came out, and I was like, "God, I I feel like I've been dragged through bushes, but in a good way." And I probably I'm, I'm going to say that because that's that's most fresh in my memory. Harris, you're hardcore. Life of a Haru is definitely my language you're speaking there. And <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I saw your eyes kind of light up when you, you said that. Think in, in the last 12 months, you know, we have all this time at home. Oh, I've got that ma- massive stack of Blu-rays to get through. And yeah. you don't actually find yourself wanting to watch a like three hour long black and white 1950s mm. movie necessarily. But no. going to the cinema is, you know, you know you're dedicated and committed to an evening. Yes. Watching something like that. Yes. Although there was a, a, a lady that came in 10 minutes in and she was sort of rustled rustled all of her stuff and she had crisps and stuff and I was like listen listen this is not the place for that yeah so don't don't be coming in here with all your snacks and your loud bottle and this is life of a haru do you know what I mean don't be don't be coming in with that like anyway that that was a thing at what point do you start looking at somebody who's directing you and thinking actually yeah I want to do that I want to be on that side of the camera all the, all the time all yeah. the time yeah I don't uh, I mean yeah I, I do like to keep like I've directed some things and I want to direct but I don't I don't like to merge the two you know like I don't like to go on set and be be there like asking the director about his why so why are you doing that thing and what's your choice here what's your motif but <laughs> but I'm definitely like very observant and I love I love being on set and I love watching everything go on. Do you know what I mean? I really enjoy the process of it and I love the different departments collaborating. So just just being a part of that in any capacity is cool for me. From from like being like a like from a sponge perspective then, do you feel I'm just trying to think about, you know, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. If you're on the set of a Disney film where you've got just so many millions of things going on at any one time and then I don't know on the set of something like County Lines where presume you know obviously the budget is just like incomparable but then do you feel like you're able to soak up more of how filmmaking actually works by being on a indie film? It's different beasts like being on a a large-scale Disney film is is equally as impressive because you've got you've got I mean the craftsmanship you've got you've got the the visual effects and you can see the the art department and how much the, the the fastness of it so it's like a different a different thing and then on indie film you're sort of appreciating the smaller things but equally as impressive like the cinematography and and just the the acting and, and the and the, the moments between people you know those sort of more intimate observations so i guess thinking about your career, because there's all these different points that we're talking about, the size of the film, the certain festival films versus blockbuster films. 
do you like to go in and watch your films with the crowd? Do you ever subject yourself to that? And what was it like the first time you did it? Do you subject yourself to that? It's like a torture. <laughs> some people talk about it like it is torture. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's uncomfortable for me. I, I know some people who, who love it. I know some people who hate it. I think I remember watching Beach Rats at Sundance and just feeling like I was being swallowed up by a black hole. But but also underneath it is like this sense of like achievement and gratitude and and excitement for it. So it's a weird combination of emotions, you know, you're like and I remember standing up after and just God, I, I, I could have crumbled and shrunk into myself because knowing that all oh, this whole room full of auditorium full of people are, are, are watching me and everyone else it's it's definitely a, an uncomfortable thing but I think as I've gone on and done more things I'm I'm getting a bit more comfortable with it like I took my young nieces to the Maleficent premiere and they were just like we were just sat they were just sat there eating the popcorn and talking to me about the film and I thought well this is pretty cool and I, I don't even have to really uh focus on myself and, mm. and don't have to worry about what I'm doing I can just sort of enjoy it as a whole experience you know what was their reaction seeing you on screen that first time <laughs> when you first came on honestly I don't know if they cared that much <laughs> I, I honestly would love to say they were like impressed but they the little one who was who was probably like three and a half at the time I turned to her and was like look she's 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 not dead and she was like I know and I was just like <laughs> okay sorry Sorry, just trying to give you the whole experience here. You've got the uh, got the actor sitting next to you, but uh, no, no, it's 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 nice to watch it with friends mm. and family. We always talk about the leading man or the leading woman, and then the character actor or the utility player or whatever. And from the position of being in the thick of that, where you've been the lead in indie films, you've been supporting in other films, is it is there a choice to do go in one direction or the other, or are you just going to see what comes your way? I mean, if I'm just going to keep trying to get jobs, you know what I mean? I'm just going to keep trying to get work, to be honest, mate. No, I think that there was always, like, a, a notion when I was a kid that that the leading part was always the most interesting. But I later realised, like, even with, like, Midnight Cowboy, like, mm. Dustin Hoffman's part, way better than John Voight's, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But and that, well, them two, I guess, equally the leads. But anyway, I don't know. I think I, I, whatever the part is, if it's interesting, I'll, I'll do it with good people. You know, mm. like, that's the only requirement for me is is, is good people, and whatever level, good cast, good good writing, good directors. You know, Dustin Hoffman's a great example. He's like a guy that you know you wouldn't think that he'd be a leading man, but he was able to turn that into such a huge starry career, considering he did such deep method performances across however many years he was in the limelight yeah so, so yeah. many great performances he, he he has to look back on and also like a, a lot of the time people like peter sarsgaard who he's always some kind of creep in some way or other but like he pops up in a film and he's he's, he's good like mm. he's he's just good and 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 Anne Dorval, who Xavier Dolan works with a lot, you know, like she's popped up in a few of his films and she's just fucking good. And, and they're memorable sometimes, more so than, than Leeds, because Leeds, you've got a, a limited sort of set of constructs that you have to stick to because you're following a narrative and other films are more more linear than others. But yeah. So I, I think, and, and this is me being a bit sort of 
ass kissing for a second, but um, Mateus and Maxim is a film that I always go Tell back me. to. <laughs> Tell me how good I am. <laughs> Come on. Mateus and Maxim is a film I always go back to as an example of when halfway through a film, you're like, where's it going? Where's it going? And then a character turns up and you're like, that guy is going to change the direction of the film. And your introduction scene in that film, and I'm, not, I'm not kidding here. I happen to be on a, I mean, it's a very particular row of, friends and colleagues who were very much into you know the team beach rats but they were big uh, big fans of Xavier Dolan and when you have that introduction scene coming up the escalator and it's pet shop boys blaring out that is one of those introductory scenes and I think that that is you know so good and I'd like to there is a question at the end of this statement Xavier Dolan is a is such an enfant terrible kind of guy he acts he writes he directs Mm. what's it like working with that sort of guy but also on a production that is not primarily in English right yeah, yeah, it, it was strange because I I was only there for a short period of time and everyone was in the flow of things. And But he's got a very beautiful way of working, you know. He has a very close-knit crew that he's worked with before and, and all of the actors in that film were his, were his dear friends and, and that changes things because there's, like, a massive level of trust. So you're going into this thing that feels very, like, warm and, and safe and he's impressive in, in so many ways uh, to to be able to go and to be able to direct a film and star in it and be mm. the lead, I mean, it's it's tough. It seems really tough. So he's 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 great, and I loved working with him. I really loved working with him. I th- Thank I think, you for the compliment. Well, well. I, th- I think that that was fun. that performance as well, <laughs> contender for best dab on screen. <laughs> And that, and Do you know what? That's what you sent on our WhatsApp group when we found out that we were interviewing you. Oh no, <laughs> Jesus man! Do you know what? It, do you know what? after I did that dab and Xavier was like, "Please just, just, just go for it, Harris." And I was like, "Really? Like, come on, man, please, don't make me do this." Because like, <laughs> I knew it was going to end up as a meme or something somewhere, even if it was within my own family group chat. Right, we really, really have enjoyed our trip to the cinema with you, but we need to know before your massive night out, after your, <laughs> after your cares watch, um, what are you eating at the cinema? Are you like a salty popcorn kind of guy? Are you sweet? Neither? Loads of more stuff to add in? What are you eating at the cinema? What am I eating at the cinema? Uh, I'm eating. I, can I just? say that my mum used to make sandwiches for the cinema did she that is adorable <laughs> i do like popcorn but it's not always like go to there's a there's a you know a cross town donuts yeah one of those probably get across town and then just really simple bottle of water i don't know or i don't i don't live it live it large in the cinema with snacks <laughs> do you guys I, I i like a bit of sugar a bit of a sugar or caffeine sort of hit before bit of chocolate, a, a long film, red wine all the way. Mm. Red wine, oh, so you drink? Yeah, mm. interesting. So let's just recap that then. So we're seeing Kez at Close Up, just off Brick Lane, Crosstown Donuts. Other donuts are available beforehand. Maybe a bagel afterwards, yes. and a bottle of water for during the film. That's really sad, isn't it? No, not at all. Like that sounds Simple amazing. pleasures. Yeah. Can I upgrade the bottle of water to a bottle of sparkling water? <laughs> <laughs> Is that all right? Absolutely. It's done. (laughs) So, Harris Dickinson, thank you for talking with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Thank you to Harris for such a great chat. Michael, how much would you love to be able to go down to the close-up centre on Brick Lane, watch three hours of slow Japanese cinema and get a bagel? You know, I know we're talking about dream cinema trips on this podcast. I think Harris has just pretty much stolen mine, really. That's the perfect night out. <laughs> I just, I loved watching your eyes light up as soon as he started talking about that. And I was like, yep, yeah, it's ticking all Michael's boxes. <laughs> If you've enjoyed this first episode of This Is My Cinema, then you're in luck. We've got new episodes coming out all this week to coincide with the British Independent Film Awards, which are happening on Facebook on Thursday the 18th. Tomorrow on the podcast, we're very excited to share our conversation with Neve Algar, who's nominated for Best Supporting Actress and Most Promising Newcomer for Calm With Horses. That was such a fun conversation with Neve. I can't wait to share it. See you then. Bye. This is My Cinema is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Annie Hughes and Harold McShield. And we're edited by Content is Queen. Thank you.